0: Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Only eight games to go for the Detroit Pistons on this season. The playoffs are in sight. Our Pistons are in eighth place, just holding on two and a half games right now ahead of the Bulls. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for continuing to support our podcast. The best way to find it is through iTunes. Make sure to subscribe there, and also check every day from now through the playoffs to DetroitBadBoys.com, the SB Nation site that is the host site for this podcast. And you can also find it on Blog Talk Radio. That's BlogTalkRadio.com slash Detroit DetroitBadBoys. So excited. We have so much to talk about with the playoffs so close. Just a couple weeks left on the season. Joining me this week, as he does every week, is Ben Galker. How are you, Ben?
1: Hey, doing great. Uh, time to get punny. I'm ready to get hypnotized by some... Sweet positive playoff talk by our other guests. So let let's go.
2: Yeah, you are getting
1: very optimistic, Ben. ben. <laughs> I feel it.
0: And that voice you hear is, as he's better known on Detroit Bad Boys, Hypno Wheels. Sean Wheeler. How are you, sir?
2: I'm doing good. Happy to be here. Happy to join you guys. This is a good time of year, and uh, you know things are pretty exciting. And I'd be happy to chime in on what I think things are going to happen. You know how I think things are going to go. Yeah, well, let's, let's start
0: right there with how things are going to go. So we've got eight games left on the season. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good about our playoff odds, two and a half games ahead of the Chicago Bulls, who uh, probably right now just tipped with, uh, I think it's Golden State tonight. So Or no, Atlanta. They've got Atlanta tonight. Uh, so Chicago just tipped with Atlanta tonight, who's pretty hot. We saw what they were able to do to the Pistons a couple nights ago. Uh, 538 has the Pistons playoff odds. at 77%. Sean, I'll start with you. 77% Pistons make the playoffs. Is that too high or too low?
2: I think it's just about right, actually. You know, I was I, I was looking a, a few days ago or last week. I think we were at the ten game mark. So two games ago, I was looking at um the schedules of Washington, the schedule of Chicago, and at that time I thought the Pistons schedule was probably the most favorable, just given where each of those teams are in the standing. So I mean Chicago has just been on this terrible downward slide. They've got injuries. They've got chemistry issues. They're not wanting to be an eighth seed team at this point in their team's, um, you know, evolution. So they, this doesn't seem like the right fit for them. And then down the stretch, they've got road games at Indiana coming up, like at Houston at Milwaukee, which won't be easy, at Memphis, at Miami. You know, they've got all those road games, plus a game against the Pistons at home, a game against the Cavs at home, mm-hmm. and, you know, that game against the Hawks that's going on tonight. So they've got an uphill battle. They've not a, they've got to not only have, a, have more road games than the Pistons do, but they also are two games behind. So they've got to play their butts off, and the Pistons sort of have to tank a little in order for them to, to gain that slot.
0: Yeah, very true, and I like that, Part of just your optimism comes from the other teams that are, you know, at the 9 and 10 spot. Uh, Ben, I'll bring you in. That 77% chance of making the playoffs, is that too high or too low?
1: That's pretty close to right. I think um, Sean's got the Bulls pegged pretty well, and I largely agree with him. Uh, I think Washington's schedule, um, you know, they've got some really tough games and they've got some really easy games. I haven't been a believer in Washington all season, but... Pistons are still a a better bet at this point. But of the two teams chasing the Pistons, I almost lean toward Washington as as having the better outside chance of of catching Detroit with the three-game lead.
2: Uh, Yeah, you know, Washington does have a better chance, but, of course, they are coming from further behind, so they've got their work cut out for them even more. And uh, it's like somebody else, I think, in one of the articles or or blogs on DVD said uh, just this past week. It's like once Washington seems to get to the 500 level, they kind of seem to self-destruct and go back down a couple games below it. So... I don't necessarily have a lot of faith in their ability. It's just, you know, it's, it's easy when you're looking at the Pistons and you're a Pistons fan to see the flaws in the team and to see how they struggle at times and how lousy they play. But we're not watching all the games of Washington and we're not watching all the games of Chicago. And frankly, those teams have the same kind of struggles. They have their own, you know, unique kind of struggles, but they have the same types of issues where they play better sometimes and worse sometimes. And I think if you're a Wizards fan, I don't know if you'd look at the standings right now and look at your schedule and feel particularly confident about their ability to overtake Detroit for the eighth seed.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't even looked at 538's playoffs odds for uh, Washington and Chicago. Uh, they've got the Bulls at 7%, and the Wizards at, actually jives with the numbers a little bit. And I, yeah, I think that's a great position for the Pistons, because um, that three-game, I think they're three games up on, on Washington, That's that's a pretty comfortable margin with only eight games left for the Pistons.
0: Yeah, and that th- uh, that three game margin and you know three wins ahead of uh, both Chicago and Washington at least right now. Um, I am interested what how Washington ends the season. They've got nine games left on the year, uh, a couple games with Brooklyn. They have the game with Detroit, and the one thing they have on Detroit is that head to head tiebreaker, which could come into effect if the Pistons struggle in these last eight and if Washington got pretty hot. Uh, do you? Ben, it seems like you're a little more worried about the Wizards. Uh, what do you think of how they've been playing lately? Have you got to see any of the Wizards?
1: No, I mean, I know, I've know i been watching the news. They had a nasty kind of losing streak, and then they followed that up. I think it was a five-game losing streak followed by five-game winning streak. So they continue to sort of be all over the map. I think the hope would be that they don't hit like a seven- or eight-game winning streak you know, to close the season because they're certainly capable of putting a, a run like that together. But, yeah, I mean, I think they have some really tough games. I mean, they've got Golden State. They've got, let uh, see, four, six, six games left on the road. Um, I, I would target that game against Detroit as one of the Pistons really ought to focus on, on winning in the event that a tiebreaker does come into play. But, you know, I think Washington is a little scarier than Chicago, but uh, I think a three-game margin is a pretty comfortable position to be in at this point.
0: Yeah, I think so, especially, you know, we're, we're this close now to the end of the season. Uh, now, I'm pretty comfortable in that eighth spot, but I am worried about Washington. And that's one thing I think uh, fans should just keep an eye on. This week, the Pistons only have three games. Uh, Washington has four uh, this week. And that's a team that, again, if they go 6-3 and three in their last nine, and the Pistons go 3-5 and five in their last eight. The Wizards are in the playoffs, and the Pistons are on the outside looking in. So it's something to keep in mind because it's still close enough that you know, I'm a Detroit sports fan, so I know like t- devastating losses this close to the end of a season, so I, I'm cautiously optimistic about our playoff odds at this point. I feel like 77% might be a little high. I wanted to talk about just how the team's been playing recently. Uh, we had that really nice win streak that the Pistons were just coming out of before uh, the loss to Atlanta, who's just red hot. Uh, the Hawks look fantastic right now. What did you see in that win streak, Ben, and does it... Uh, Get you excited about the uh, playoff or our playoff chances at all?
1: Yeah, I mean, I love, like I've been saying, I love this team's chances in a seven-game series if they shoot the ball well, because they are capable, in any given seven games, they are capable of winning four or five of them against just about anybody. When they shoot well, they can compete everywhere and anywhere against anyone, Um, So it's a matter of whether or not they're going to shoot the ball well, in my opinion. And uh, I think the offense in that, that winning streak actually looked pretty good. I don't know, Sean, was anything in particular, you know, anything particular jump out at you during that win streak?
2: Yeah, you know, uh it's it's very I've got a lot of value out of really watching um through last year's statistics as well as this this year's trends. It's it's made things somewhat predictable at this point. I know they're a very inconsistent team, but you can also look at the home road difference between the Pistons uh, how they play on the road, how they play at home, how they play on the second end of back-to-backs, how how they play in different situations, and it's kind of how I was uh, how I imagined things playing out at this point of the season. I saw this long homestand, and I envisioned them, you know, out of the nine games, you know, getting six or seven wins fairly easily. I'm I, not I say easily, but I, I was very confident that they would get six or seven wins in this stretch. And so the play that they've exhibited against Sacramento, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Orlando, those those teams that they were supposed to beat, it was. You know, it was not as it, it was disappointing to see them struggle as much as they did with those teams, but they also beat them and they also have this tendency as a young and inexperienced team to sometimes play to the level of their opposition. You know, I was thinking about this earlier today when it comes to the Pistons like they've got all this talent and they're so youthful. What is it that they're missing and what is it that causes them to play so inconsistently at times? And if you look at their squad, I mean, even other teams that have youth None of them have complete use. And they're starting five and are in a position to be in the playoffs right now. I mean, two years ago or a year and a half ago, Reggie Jackson was uh, riding the bench in Oklahoma City. Marcus Morris was a bench player in Phoenix. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope was starting his rookie year, you know, at the beginning of 2014-15. You know, Andre was starting his third year, you know, and Tobias Harris, he's, he's 23. You know, this is a guy who just was legal to drink two years ago. So you've got five guys who none of them know how to win none of them have an experience being a leader and they're the guys who are guiding the success of this team. While the bench is like a complete, you know, it's, it's like this influx mess of injuries and 10 day contracts and guys who are way too old and way too unproductive. So what I like, I think is the fight and the heart I see at times. And when I don't see it, it really frustrates me. But when you do see it, they are like world beaters, beat golden state blow out Charlotte for three quarters at home. You know, they've had some really impressive wins in the second half of the year. And I think, what is it, since the All-Star break, or since Tobias Harris joined the team, what are they, 11-5 and or 12-6, and you know, overall with him as as a starter? And that's a really good winning percentage, and that's a good predictor, I think, of what's to come. Yeah, so with all that being said about the team's just lack of experience
0: and, and some of the issues with leadership with this roster, does that make this playoff experience even more important for the Pistons?
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think it's huge that they play. I think they're going to get beat up, actually, quite a bit. But I, and I think it'll be a pretty good butt whooping, to be honest with you, if they play the Cavs. They might win a game or two, you know, if they play really well in the palace. But I think they're going to get, um, I think they're going to get it handed to them um, when Cleveland really turns it on and plays like they can in the playoffs. And I think that experience of, of a team playing at, at their best on a national stage and, and basically doling out a beating to them, uh, that, that may not sound too optimistic, but it's what they need. Because when they get that, that butt whooping and they go to the offseason and they come back next year, that's going to shape their attitude and their mentality for how they play from game one next year. And that's exactly what a team that's this young and inexperienced and um, you know, sort of devoid of a real clear leader, I think that's what they need.
0: Yeah, and just, you know, looking at what, you know, what the playoff matchup would be right now, uh, getting Cleveland in the first round, you're right, probably a, probably a a maybe five or six game series uh, for the Pistons. But do you like the Cavaliers matchup better for the Pistons or uh, the Raptors? Which team, Sean, do you think would be easier for the Pistons in the first round?
2: Wow, I don't think either of them would be easier, but I, I can say maybe there's a hint of skepticism about Toronto just based on you know how they perform in the playoffs the past couple of years. True. Now I do think that they're a very different team this year than they were last year, and they're they're showing that. I think Lowry has made significant strides, but until a team like them actually walks the walk and does it in the playoffs, you certainly have to have a heck of a lot more skepticism about them than you do about cleveland when lebron what hasn't missed the finals in the past however many years what five six years he's gone to the finals consistently Mm -hmm. so the the idea of lebron screwing up and his team fumbling the ball in the first round is way more inconceivable than the idea of toronto doing it for a second year in a row or at least being disappointing for a second third year in a row ben i know we've talked about this before and with what Sean's saying
0: about Cleveland and just, you know, that, that uh, you know, LeBron leading his team to the finals yet again, which does seem, you know, like it, like it is going to happen yet again in the Eastern Conference, Ben, are you still holding firm that the better matchup is the Cavaliers?
2: Yeah,
1: I think realistically they're going to win two games uh, if they play either of those teams. Um, and I think the absolute best case scenario is maybe three, but I think Sean is right. I think... Jacob talked about this, too, when we discussed this before. On paper, Cleveland and Toronto both are quite a bit better than the Pistons right now. Um, But I I think what I've seen from the Pistons versus Toronto versus Cleveland, and this is going back even into last season, is that um, Detroit has some problems for Cleveland. Andre Drummond is a monster they don't have an answer for, and Reggie has really picked apart Della Vadova and and Kyrie. So I think those two things... um, make things a little scarier for Cleveland than they want them to be. I wanted to
0: go back to this homestand. Shauna, you touched on that a bit and how important it was for the Pistons to take advantage of that nine game homestand. Only two games left now, um, Dallas and Oklahoma city at home before we actually go on the road for a stretch. Uh, How important are these last two against OKC and Dallas um are is it, are they games that we can kind of look past knowing that we have some Eastern Conference playoff teams coming up? Uh, or does every win, you know, is every win still important for the Pistons?
2: I think the I think getting a win in the next two is probably more important for their confidence than it is in reality, you know, for for their likelihood of making the playoffs uh for the rest of the season. Um I I do see a ray of hope that I hadn't seen until just recently, which is that uh, Oklahoma City is playing um, in Toronto on Monday night, and so they're going to be on the second end of a road back-to-back when the Pistons are coming off of uh, a couple days' rest. So it's pop- those, that's the kind of game that they can win against a superior opponent, which Oklahoma is struggling a little bit right now. They did play Golden State pretty well recently um, and put up a good fight, but I looked at the box score, and they had no Chandler Parsons, and they had no um, Darren Williams. And, you know, again, they're another team sort of like the Bulls in that they're going to be a bottom-tier playoff team, but they're too old and talented, really, to view that as being a positive. So Dallas is definitely on the road a very vulnerable opponent, and given that the Pistons beat them in Dallas when they had – their full squad intact. I think that, that bodes pretty well for business chances of pulling that one off. So I'm confident they're going to win at least one of those. And then Chicago, like I said, Chicago is going downhill. They're, they're backsliding. They're falling apart. Uh, Miami is going to be tough. But, uh, again, we've beaten them in Miami before. We whooped them in Detroit. They're definitely a winnable game. And Orlando, we play really well against. Um, so there's another one. Um, and then, I don't know, Washington? Maybe they're a horrible matchup for us. Maybe they're just going to beat us every time. But <laughs> Washington, you know, you, at some point, the odds have to favor them having a down game against us. So maybe, you know, with the Palace play rested, you know, we can beat Washington in that game and Miami the same thing. And, you know, I, I think it looks like Cleveland will be, um, more than likely in that last game of the year. I mean, Cleveland is a team that's playing for the playoffs, so they're not going to care about that last game. It's not going to really matter to them. So that's another game that's, that's uh, looking pretty winnable. So they've got a good they a, a fighter's chance in all the rest of the games.
0: So with eight to go and, and just kind of running through those uh, the schedule, how many wins do you see then uh, for this team? What, what do you think the final uh, record's going to look like for the Pistons?
2: Out of those eight games i would I would say that this if I were being skeptical, I always like to give a range so if I were being skeptical and and they kind of like poop the bed a little bit, <laughs> I would say four and four. I don't think they're gonna do worse than four and four, and I think that if they if they get on a roll and they play above expectations, I think six and two is probably more than likely the ceiling on what they could do in the last um the last eight games, so they're gonna be somewhere between you know forty three wins and then you know maybe forty four or forty five wins.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty realistic, and I think it's pretty close to you know what we all had predicted in the uh, in the preseason. Uh, who would have thought that a winning record might actually keep you out of the playoffs in Eastern Conference? I still think that's fascinating this year uh, with Washington, Sean. You're right; it must just be a bad matchup for us. I, I'm not sure what it, what it is this year, uh, but we have lost two games by one possession to the Wizards this year. Hopefully, that's some motivation in that game, um, and tomorrow night. The return of Kyle Singler to the palace, so that that should be a big matchup for everybody to watch tonight.
2: <laughs> they should be really revved up for that one,
0: bro. right? That's that's something to get get excited for. Reggie Jackson against his former team, Kyle Singler coming back, big yeah, stuff.
2: Kyle, Kyle's got a lot of bad blood with his old teammates. I'm sure it's going to be really <laughs> nasty nice if, if he makes it in for five minutes each half.
0: Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, ben, looking at the last eight games, what's uh, your prediction for the record uh, going out these last eight?
1: Well, I'm going to be super biased and say that uh, they're going to win four games because preseason I predicted they would win 43. So I'm going to go selfish <laughs> on that one, I think.
0: Yeah, pride got in the way of uh, my prediction <laughs> as well. I had a 42-40 and 40 in the uh, preseason prediction, so that would be 3-5. and 3-5, uh, and five, that that's uh, that might not be good enough, so hopefully, yeah, 4-4. Four four. But I think I agree with both of you looking at just the final eight games. I like how it sets up for the Pistons. Uh, especially that Cleveland game at the end of the season. I'm sure they're not going to want to show us anything before a playoff series, and they're going to want to make sure everyone's rested for that game. I think that's a win. Uh, Orlando does seem like a pretty easy matchup. And hopefully these games against Chicago and Washington, that's what I really want to see because those are two teams that won't be eliminated at that point from playoff contention, most likely. So it will be interesting to see how we play against teams that still have that fighter's chance.
2: I think that's going to be a lot of fun. You know, I hadn't even really thought about that in terms of just the fun. I mean, I think we get lost. I think fans can get lost and, and sort of caught up in, oh, are we? You know, how are we going to make the playoffs? What are they going to do? And they played really bad last night. But you know what? These games this season has been a hell of a lot of fun as a Pistons fan. You know, I think you guys know that, like, I like to work on videos. I've been, like, recording all these games, and and I've been, you know, looking at the highlights of these games. And there's just been so much more fun throughout the year this year, in spite of the frustrating moments. There have been these great fourth-quarter comebacks, and there have been these, like... You know the buzzer beater with Dre, and there have been a lot of like the blowout against Golden State on Ben Wallace night. There's just been so much fun this year, and to look at these games and see, you know, Oklahoma City tomorrow night or Tuesday night is going to be fantastic. It's going to be they're going to be revved up playing at Chicago where they had the four overtime game and they won that uh, is going to be really exciting with the playoffs. You know, the the playoff uh, expectations on the line playing Washington after the butt whooping. Washington administered if that's a game that at that point in the season means who's going to get in the playoffs just imagine the intensity of that game and you know how how sort of on the edge of our seats we're probably going to be in crunch time in those games it's just really it's just going to be a really fun uh final stretch here
0: yeah it is in the whole season you're right it's been a lot of fun to follow this uh there have been some moments where you know it's probably caused fans a little bit of anxiety with how the team has played during certain stretches. And uh, you, you're right. I think just your you know, first remarks about uh, uh, when, when you were first talking about what you've seen from the team, Sean, it is inconsistent, but we do kind of understand the product we're going to get night in, night out. Um, even though it has been a streaky season in terms of wins and losses, uh, it still is most likely a winning season for the Pistons. And that, uh, I think, is great news in Stan Van Gundy's second year with this team especially, again, with all of the moves and changes to this roster. Uh, so I want to talk a bit about the coach and just the job he's done this season. Uh, Sean, you mentioned it, 11-5 and five with Tobias Harris. Uh, it's, I, I think we, you know, we all consider that trade a win for the Pistons. But what do you think of the job Stan Van has done putting this roster together, and what grade would you give him as coach? So maybe let's do this two ways. What grade do you give him as coach this season, uh-huh. and what grade do you give him as executive this year?
2: Yeah. Um, as an executive, I give him an A. I mean, I don't even have to think about that. I mean, the the, the job he's done with turning, um, you know, little pieces into significant long-term pieces of the franchise is really, I mean, it's, it's just so impressive. I can't, I don't, I don't think you could do it any better. Turning role players like Kyle Signaler and, and DJ Augustine into Reggie Jackson who's a 19-7 and guy, who's a huge clutch player down the stretch, who has a lot to learn and he has a lot to improve upon. But, I mean, he's obviously a clear starting point guard in the NBA with star potential. And then turning, you know, Brandon Jennings, who's off an injury, and, and Ersan Ilyasova, who's really just, I mean, he's a good player, but he's just a piece and turning those guys into a 23 year old power forward, small forward combo guy who could average 20 points and is an all around player and can shoot the three. I mean, that's just, that's just excellent team building. And that's not just Stan. Of course it's, it's Bowers and the whole um, organization, but they're just doing a great job of taking the assets that they have and turning them into and and, and basically getting more value from what they currently have with each transaction. So executive a, without a doubt Um, as a coach, I I have a lot of faith in him, and I have a lot. I, I try to defer as a fan. It's really easy to say I could be better than Stan Van Gundy. I could get <laughs> these guys to play defense, and a lot of guys in the green threads and, and the comments all voice their frustrations with Stan. And, and at times when the defense is terrible and so forth. Uh, so, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little bit more. Um, I'm gonna be a little bit less positive about Stan because I I do think that there are some things. That he could be doing better. Um, I at number one, I think the Dre free throw situation. I don't know, I, you know, as a hypnotherapist and somebody who does mental coaching at times as a profession and has done so for a while, I really think it's it's a huge disappointment that Dre has only shot what he shot this year. I, I'm also not a believer that it's totally Andre um, Andre's responsibility to improve in that way. He needs help and he needs guidance. You've got a professional basketball organization with essentially unlimited resources to spend on mental coaches and, and sports psychologists and, and and anything that you can, you can think of. And they haven't found somebody to do the right job. It's clear that when Andre is in the game and he's on the line, he's, it's not that his mechanics are terrible. It's not that he can't, he does shoot them better in practice. As Stan has said, it's that he's got a head issue. He's got a mental issue when he's on the free throw line. And to me, Stan, the coach, and or Stan, the GM, has got to find somebody to help him get his head right when he's out there, um, because that is going to be the kind of thing that prevents them from winning the championship, okay? Now, the other criticism I'd have, first off, is going to be their defense. Um, It's hard to say exactly how much of what's lacking there is coaching versus individuals just not responding and doing what Stan wants them to do. But I happen to think that if he communicates to them in the right way, that that would produce a difference. I don't think it's all about age. I don't think it's just about the fact that they're not listening to him or they're not hustling. I think that honestly he could be doing a better job of coaching them up on defense. So that's been the thing that's been disappointing to me. I don't like watching a Detroit Pistons team. That's a sieve. On defense, I don't like watching all the dribble penetration um, that the guys hang in their heads. Dre seeming to sleepwalk through games at times. I don't like any of that stuff. So as far as a coach, i probably get to stand a generous B. Because to be frank, coaching a young team like that and getting them to play above 500 or at or around 500 ball for the full season, dealing with injuries, dealing with all the stuff that he's in the tr- turnover with the roster, I think overall he's done a good job but there's certainly a heck of a lot of room for improvement uh, in, in the coaching.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And this team, I, I agree with you. I like how the team is built. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say they're built well for crunch time. I, I don't know how good this team is going to be going forward in the last four minutes of a game. Um, and I, I put a bit of that on how terrible the free throw shooting has been and not having a real go-to guy outside of you know having to rely on Reggie Jackson for so much. Uh, that's what's so great about seeing Tobias Harris join the team. But uh, I think, you know, we're still seeing him working into this offense. Um, uh, you mentioned Drummond's free throw shooting. And we had brought in Dave Hopla to help with the shooting. He was the shooting coach. This guy was the guru. And it's someone that, passed the off season in a few articles I had read, I have not heard of since then. And I wonder what happened with that. Uh, I know that there's been a few tweaks to his mechanics throughout the season, but, Sean, you just think it is it is mental at this point with, with Drummond?
2: Well, look, when, you, when you've got a guy who is shooting every day, which they say he is, every day in practice, he's practicing his three throws, he does it all the time, and Stan says he shoots, I don't know, 60% or 70% or something like that in practice, it makes total sense to me because it is just muscle memory. Um, and if he can make two swishes in a row one time early in the game, like I think he did you know, in the last game, first right out of the gate, then there's no there's no mechanical reason why he can't do that repeatedly or consistently over time. Um, the the complete air balls or the bricks that just hit the backboard but that don't hit any rim that he throws up from time to time um, that specifically seem to come out when hackadre is happening and his confidence gets hurt and he's feeling on the spot, that's totally mental. It's telling me it's totally mental. Now, A hopla, I I don't know what he does or what his methodology is, so I can't be specific about criticizing him. But I can say that if he's not a mental coach, (laughs) if he's not doing a a sort of – He's not doing a form of therapy or a form of, um, psychological, um, taking a psychological approach to, to it, then you're really only working on the surface. You're just working with the conscious mind and, you know, when you, not to get too deep into it, but when you do hypnosis or hypnotherapy for, with athletes, you take them to a place where they get really deeply relaxed and you're using that state to give them suggestions for success. And what that can do is it can take a guy like Dre and I could give him a suggestion when he's hypnotized that when he steps to that free throw line, he imagines and sees that ball going through the hoop. He's expecting success. He's breathing deeply. He's relaxed and confident. And when you put somebody in that kind of a mental and a physical state, what happens is that the program that he's learned in practice, that the program that's working, the the good stroke, the smooth stroke, the repetition, the mechanics, that stuff comes out. When he's anxious and nervous and negative and anticipating failure, then his body becomes tense, and that tension interferes with the stroke that Hopla, I would imagine, was working on him with. So all the mechanical work in the world won't do you a damn thing if, when you get up to the line, your head is in the wrong space. So that's where I think the intervention needs to take place. I think there's no excuse for a guy like Dre to be below 50%. No excuse. If he's got the right mentality, if he's relaxed, if he's, if he's been practicing, I think there's no reason why he should be below
0: 50%. Yes, I totally agree with you. And it's nice to hear uh, something constructive uh, that you can do with a player Uh, in terms of the mental game. It's nice to hear that, because so often you hear from fans, and the few times I think I've responded to game threads this season have always been when uh, someone just says, well, he's not trying hard enough, or, oh, he just needs to hold the ball a little bit closer to his chest. All of these things that seem like easy fixes that I'm sure has been brought up in practice. This is, you know, his livelihood. I'm sure he has attempted things uh, just on the mechanic side. So it's nice to hear uh, from you, Sean, just... What it takes on the mental side and, and what we might need to see going forward, uh, because I agree, there's no reason he shouldn't be shooting 50%. Uh, I, I disagree that, you know, he's at a disadvantage as a big man at the at the line. I think you should at least be shooting 50%. And if you can do that, then it's not a bad shot. It's not bad. Uh, and that should get rid of the hackadre uh, if he can just shoot 50% or better.
2: Well, let me just explain to, to the fans out there who think he should just be practicing more. Like, you know, as a, as a hypnotherapist and at times a mental coach, I haven't worked with NBA players yet, but I have worked with professional golfers and other athletes who've competed at a high level or at a professional level. And a golfer is a good example because with them specifically, when it comes to their technique or their swing, or more specifically the yips when putt when putting, yeah. it's not as though these people have not been out there practicing their putts, they do it all the time. And when the pressure is off they do fine the yips come when the pressure is on and when they miss one their memory of the miss serves to cause tension which serves to make the yips continue to happen so for them it's 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 the same dynamic it's about it's about changing their outlook as well as their physiology so that they're thinking positively they're imagining success i mean tiger woods used a mental coach for years a guy named jay brunza You can look it up online and my, from what I learned about Tiger and what I've learned about mental coaching with golfers is that you would have them go into this relaxed state and imagine hitting perfect shot after perfect shot after perfect shot. So that when the guy would get out there in the course, he's in the zone and he's expecting the perfect shot. He's envisioning it. He's imagining it. And then his body is executing it. And so that's the kind of attitude that can bring about that consistency. So don't be hard on Dre and think he's just not working at it. He can work at it till he's he's blue in the face or whatever the expression is. He can work on it all day long, but if he doesn't get confident, then it's not gonna make a difference when the game begins.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: Um, ben, there was uh,
0: there was something in there that Ben, do you have anything to say say from that? I, saying, well, I, I, agree, I
2: agree a lot
1: about the mechanics. I think anyone who thinks that mechanics are the end-all be-all of uh, being a successful shooter at, at in any respect in the NBA needs to go watch Reggie Miller highlights for about 24 hours straight and, and watch his form. And he, he does just about everything wrong. You can imagine a shooter doing from fading away, fading to the side, his elbows in the wrong spot on release. But the only thing he had good going for him was his high release. And he, he learned to do that because his sister was taller than he was. If you believe the, you know, what the two of them kind of joke about when they're on TV. So, I totally agree about mechanics. Dre's mechanics, in my opinion, are completely fine. I think the big complicating factor with respect to all of this is that it is very, very difficult to replicate the kind of pressure that you experience in a basketball game in a practice scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the analogies to golf are very interesting, but... As, as an avid recreational golfer myself and someone who did play basketball at, you know, at least a somewhat high level, there's something totally different about um, being at the free-throw line in an arena full of fans and being on the golf course. There's something different about that kind of pressure, and I think replicating is just extremely, extremely hard. Uh, if, if what we're hearing from SVG is actually the case and he's shooting 50 60 70% in practice... And there's no reason to doubt that's the case. Um, then there there has to be something going on mentally, and I think the only way to overcome that is to replicate the stress, to replicate the pressure, and to me that's the hardest part of it. I I just don't know how you replicate that in a practice scenario.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, I do. All right, you you don't do it in the gym, but you do it in his mind. You know, so when when I hypnotize somebody, you have them visualize and imagine a scenario. So I wouldn't have him visualize and imagine an empty basketball arena. I'd have him imagine a full arena with screaming fans, with the thunder sticks, yelling and screaming the games on the line. But then I would also have him imagine making the shot. So what you're doing is in the mind, you're creating the situation that you're anticipating the athlete is going to be in, and you're creating it as a successful experience. So that when he's in a similar experience in reality in the future, it's almost as though he's already had a successful experience in the past. It's almost like... He had the game on the line with one second left, and he drilled the two winning free throws in reality. Um, In fact, studies have been shown, like they've done studies on hypnosis that do brain scans, and they show that what people imagine – Um, experiencing actually activates the same mental pathways and the same areas of the brain that are activated when someone experiences in reality. So like when (laughs) someone hears a song that excites them, it activates the same sensory areas in the brain that it does when they hear the dang song. So if you're doing that with an athlete in a controlled condition like that, in a state of hypnosis, you can actually replicate to a great degree what that environment is going to be like in reality. It won't be 100% but it's going to be really close and it's going to do a lot more to prepare him for it than, you know, having speakers brought into the palace and having fake audience, you know, noise pumped in like they do for the lions or whatever during, you know, during playoff situations.
1: Yeah. And I just- think another part of it too, and this is, and that's really interesting. Shine, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your perspective uh, as a whole on this, um, on this topic. I think it's really fascinating to hear from your professional experience. I think one of the other things, just based on being a player, um, that it took me years to learn. In high school, I wasn't a very tentative player. I didn't have a great de- degree of confidence in my skills, even though I was a quality player at the high school level, and it wasn't really until college um, that my coach really taught me how to be confident in myself. And it was through nothing short of just simply drilling the fact into me that I had certain skills and that those skills were valuable to the team and I could be successful if I worked on maximizing those skills. And I would say it took me probably a good year and a half of, of his coaching with that approach to really make me a believer in the skills that I have. When I, when I was in college initially, you know, as a freshman, I was so overwhelmed by the speed of the game, by, uh, the physical stature and athleticism of the players that I didn't necessarily have. And I spent way too much of my internal thought process thinking about all of my deficiencies. And it wasn't until I started to really focus on the things that I was good at and really focus in on honing in on what I was good at that it really turned into some production on the court and actually did contribute and, and was a meaningful contributor uh, to the team in certain situations. And, and part of me when I watched Dre, um, he gets a lot of chrism, I think, in our, in our um, game threads. And, and Jordan, you were talking a little bit about that. He gets really down on himself when things aren't going well. Yes. And uh, Sean, maybe you have additional perspective on this as well. But, but in my opinion, as a player, there's no substitute for actually accomplishing something and receiving the, the positive reinforcement internally and then externally from coaches, from fans, from teammates. And and I wonder, you know, when I watch Dan on the sidelines, he he doesn't strike me as the most affirming coach. And sometimes I wonder if if maybe part of Dre's problem is that he hasn't experienced success in this area and he doesn't necessarily internally have the mindset to get him off of that negative slide. If he misses a free throw or you know he, he bobbles a rebound, he, he starts to go kind of downhill emotionally. So I think that's another part of it. He, he needs to figure out how to, once he does have a successful game or stretch of games at the free throw line, Make his, make his focus internally on those successes rather on the things that, that maybe he doesn't do as well as he thinks he should.
2: You're extremely enlightened, Ben. You know, Listening to your story about college and how you learned how to focus on what you were good at instead of focusing on what you weren't or what was missing is really almost exactly what I do with not only my athletes that I work with in my practice but with all my clients, period. Like That's actually the recipe for confidence and happiness in life is a focus on what's right in life a focus on what you're good at, not a focus on the flaws or what's missing. Um, and that's like dating and relationships. That's getting a a promotion at work It's starting your own business. It all comes from how you focus. And so what, what Dre needs to do is like, this is how batters and get on hot, you know, hot streaks. And this is how um, basketball players will like get on a shooting streak where they'll make like five, six, seven, eight, nine shots in a row. It's that the memory of the made shot is so fresh in their mind when they take the next one that they're feeling an expectation that the next one is going in. That's why they have the expression like feels like the rim is an ocean. And I've, I haven't played basketball at a high level, but I played, you know, through when I was little and I played, um, you know, recreational and pickup games. And for me, after I got into hypnosis and I started playing pickup ball, I was a much better player doing pickup ball than I ever was as a kid because of my attitude, just because I knew to think about and to focus on the successes more. And when I did that, I played better and I made more shots and I played at a higher level. So what you can do with someone like Dre, another thing you can do with them if you've got the right mental coach in place, is you can give them suggestions that will help them to before the game begins or before he shoots that free throw to specifically remember. See, the the human mind is a very complex thing, and our consciousness is very limited. You can only be aware of a couple of things at a time. And if when he steps on that free throw line, he forgets about his successes in the past in that regard, then he feels like a failure, and he's more likely to fail. But if he gets up there and he steps on the line and he remembers swishing to... Um, and it's fresh in his mind and it's very clear, then that's the kind of thing that produces, you know, the more, more successful results right there in the present. So you're, you can hit the nail right on the head. It's a question of changing his focus. So I, as you were talking, I was thinking about one other
1: thing, uh, and it has to do with this golf analogy, and I think it's interesting you've worked with golfers. One of the reasons I think that golf and basketball are so different is because of the speed at which the game is played. When you're playing basketball, most of the time, when normal play is happening, you're simply moving on instinct. You're you're executing things that you've practiced a million times, and you literally don't have the time to stop and think about it. However, when you're at the free throw line, you're in the exact same scenario as the golfer is every every single time he or she takes a shot or hits a putt. You have several seconds where everyone's looking at you, everyone's staring at you, and you've got time to get into your own head. So. Uh, as you were talking i just i just thought it would be interesting to point that out basketball in a lot of ways is different but where at the free throw line it's very much like standing over a putt or you know lining it up on the tee box so i think that's really interesting to think about
0: that's very true i immediately thought of putting as well and just those golfers that struggle with you know five foot putts and and just the issues with the yips like you've talked about sean that's I agree. It's very much like the issues he's having at the free throw line, and I think where that kind of extends is then on to the defensive end for for Dre. Uh, the and Ben, I, I think you mentioned this how diff, how hard he is on himself can affect his effort on the defensive end. And while he's still learning how to play defense in the NBA and learn how to use his body and 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 how to become a better defender, I think that lack of confidence on the offensive end and the issues he's having at the free throw line kind of carry over. Sean, do you worry about that at all and how it's going to affect his overall game from something like free throws? Or do you think the free throw issue is isolated?
2: No, I think it all goes together. I've seen his body language at times and uh, <clears throat> and I've and thought it's, it's, it's not so good. Um, certain times when he's been having a bad game, but the team is kind of doing well and he's sitting on the bench, he'll be sulking. You know, I'll see him sulk. I'll see him reach in and do cheap fouls when he's frustrated. Now look, you know, he's 23 years old. And when I was 23 years old, I was a mess. I had no self-confidence back then. I was making a lot of stupid decisions in my life. And so I can identify with the sort of immaturity and the lack of that mindset. Some guys develop it. They they develop it through parents, they develop it through coaches, like Ben was talking about. Some guys develop it, but this is a guy who had one year in college then stepped into the NBA, and he's gone through several different head coaches, and he hasn't had a lot of consistency, and it looks like he hasn't had the right kind of attitude uh, reinforcement. So he plays extremely well when he's feeling good and he's into it, and when he's not, and he's he plays extremely poorly, which we've all seen, or he looks to drag himself up and down the court a bit. So, look, if, if he gets his head on straight and if and when he figures it out, then that's when he could be a superstar All-NBA player for many, many years. If he doesn't ever figure it out, what you're going to get is a better version of what we've already seen. He's going to be more mature. He's going to develop certain aspects of his game, but he's still not going to bring the intensity with consistency like we all wish and hope that he will. Yeah, Ben, do you have anything to add to that?
1: Well, I just want to point out one thing. We've talked about locker room personalities and, does a veteran bring something to the table, even if it's not on the court? And I, I've i thought a lot about Brandon Jennings in sort of the swag era. So right after Josh Smith was traded, um, the thing about Brandon Jennings that won me over during that point in time was his what I would just call relentless positivity. He was the ultimate cheerleader, the ultimate teammate, the ultimate ringleader. And I think... Um, I think the Pistons would do well to cultivate that in someone on their roster currently or to bring someone in like that who can play play that role on the team. Because I do think Andre is susceptible to that right now. And I think one of the best ways to counteract that would be to have a strong personality like a Brandon Jennings who just refuses to, to get down and, and who chooses to bring Andre out of those ruts that I think we've all seen him slip into. So... Um, I think that might be one way uh, that the Pistons can address this.
0: Yeah, and I like what did you call it? relentless positivity? Yeah, I like I like that because sometimes it would border on like irrational confidence, and I yeah. like I like those guys the the J.R. Smith type players of the world that have such belief in their own ability. That no matter the situation, no matter the score, they're going to rely on what they have and what they can give to their team. And I like that. And it's what I liked about Brandon Jennings as well. You're right. That stretch after we got rid of Josh Smith, that was fun basketball. That was a lot of fun uh, when it was Brandon Jennings' team right before he got injured. Uh, I like where the team is at currently with Reggie Jackson. I definitely don't think I would trade it, um, though. you know, that Brandon Jennings' time for this. But um, it was definitely, um, definitely fun Dude. basketball.
2: Yeah, did you guys just, just, did did you guys just hear a, a away. Away <laughs> Yeah, I, I've got a toddler sitting in my lap right now after her bath, and she just decided to do zerberts into the microphone. That's like so. it
0: sounded like a raspberry. Yeah, yeah. Apologies
2: that's... for apologies for that, but she's a big Pistons fan, so. Oh,
0: that's good. That's good. What's her
2: name? Yeah. Uh, Sienna. Sienna, you want to say hi? Say hi. Mm-hmm. Say go Pistons. Oh, right. huh. yeah, just,
0: that's <laughs> adorable. That's amazing. She
2: watches some of the games in my lab at night before bedtime, so mommy's just taking her to bed. Alright. See you in a little bit, kiddo. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so that's what I do, I watch these games while I'm, you know, sometimes rocking my kid to bed, the game's on pause in the DVR, I come back in and, you know, <laughs> so hopefully you can either edit that out or it's funny.
0: Okay. Oh, no, we're, we're keeping that, that's definitely saying. <laughs>
2: we have to keep
0: the Go Pistons. That yeah, how? oh, the Go Pistons for sure, the whole thing. Yeah, also earlier in the, uh, uh, in the pod... Are you pod
2: crying in the background? <laughs> yes,
0: yes, and I told Ben, I was like, I think it's, uh, it might be bedtime at the Wheeler house, so... Well, I want to thank both of you for doing the big work on Andre Drummond, but I wanted to talk about another piston, uh, KCP. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, how he has played recently, and I wanted to talk a bit about his ceiling with this team and just his current role. Uh, so, Ben, what have you seen recently, and then what is his role on this team as we get close to the playoffs?
1: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big KCP fan. I, I've i been critical of his shooting because that's the only weak spot in this game right now. And I think if he develops into a consistent 35% a three-point shooter, then he is hes a very, very valuable player for the Pistons because he's obviously their best perimeter defender. And if he can shoot the ball well from deep, um, he fits Stan's system inherently. And Stan doesn't have to do any adjusting or accounting for KCP because KCP fits them perfectly. So um, for me, that's what I'll be looking for um, over the long term. Over the course of this summer, I'd like to see him put that work in and, and emerge next year with a 35% three-point jump shot uh, with some consistency. Now, of late, what he's shown is that he's he's capable of being a literally a brilliant player for this team. He's had some really fantastic performances, um, and I'm a big fan. I, I think Steve, Steve Henson had a post up uh, either yesterday or today that I think laid out everything that KCP does well Uh, Perfectly, I think Steve did a great job talking about uh, KCP being the one and only piston, regardless of who the opponent is, regardless of whether it's home or away. Gives every single ounce of energy he has to the team, no matter what. And and I would say he's the only player on the team who's done that, except from maybe Anthony Tolliver. So certainly the only starter. Uh, And I'd like to see that become contagious. But I'm a big fan of KCP. I've only been critical of him because I. I hope for more out of him because I think he's capable of it. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan, and I think if he improves the way we hope he can, he's definitely a starting point guard in the NBA uh, and an elite uh, elite defender, so a, elite at half of the game uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So that's kind of where my thoughts are about KCP right now.
2: So here, here's a guy, I'm just looking at his stats. You know, Here's a guy who, in March, uh, is averaging 16 points a game He's only shooting 41, 42%. His three points have been lousy. He's shooting 23% from threes. Um, That's the thing. Like, you know, when you look at what a player already has by a certain age and you look at what's missing, I mean, the effort is there. The athleticism is there. The defense is there. um, And at times, the shooting is there. So... If if he does just improve on his shooting accuracy, I know it's a big if, but if he just gets it up to a certain level, he could go from being a 16-point-a-game player to being an 18-19, you know, god willing, 20-point-a-game player. I'd say probably 18 is probably more real realistic for a consistency. But even if he's an 18-point-a-game player who's a lockdown defender who hustles and gets steals and brings that energy that's contagious to his teammates. I mean, that's just so hard to find in the NBA a guy who does that. And he's so, so young. I mean, you could have this guy for the next, you know, eight, 10 years if things work out. And you know that he's going to be a more consistent shooter um, five, six, seven years from now. And you know that he's still going to bring the energy. So, yeah, I mean, he, I, I get frustrated with him like everybody else does when he bricks up four or five or six threes um, seemingly within a very short period of time. It drives me nuts. Um, but the talent that he has and the energy and the attitude that he has. That's Piston basketball. Piston basketball is hustling, steals, defense, energy, um, you know, fast break, dunks. I mean, this is – he is the epitome of what Pistons fans love about basketball. Basketball.
0: Yeah, I completely agree that he is a – he's a great Piston, and he does fit the mold of what I want at the two-guard spot. But looking beyond this season, Sean, if if the Pistons want to become contenders in the Eastern Conference next year and beyond – uh, is it worth sticking with KCP, or should we look for that kind of immediate upgrade, like we did with Tobias Harris? Uh, or would you ride it out with KCP uh, from this year and/or for next year and beyond?
2: Uh, I'm, I'm riding it out with him, and I am looking to upgrade to three. Now I know we've got Stanley, and I know we got Marcus, but both of those guys are basically those guys would both. I, you know, as much as I'm a fan of them, I think they're both both best suited as support players. And right now, we are really missing in the starting lineup um, a person. Tobias is exhibiting some of these characteristics, but we're really missing somebody um, who is a leader who can create his own shot um, and like a wing player who can create his own shot in crunch time. You know, it's too much on Reggie. And the dynamics of this team is that in crunch time. If Reggie's on and he can do it, then it's awesome, and if he's not, then it's a cluster you-know-what. So I I think they need to upgrade a spot, but I'd rather have KCP um, starting on the floor and replacing um, Morris with someone who is more talented offensively or is a better three-point shooter, better creator, than plugging in somebody else for KCP and losing that defense and energy in the starting unit.
0: Yeah, I agree. And what I would like to see uh, with the upgrade at the three spot, and I agree with you, I think that's what we need more than looking for someone besides KCP. Uh, I think we need to find a better shooter at that three spot. And as as much as I like Marcus Morris and what he's given us this season, it would be great if we could find someone that can give us 35% or better at that three spot uh, in terms of three-point shooting. Ben, when you're just looking at improvements to make to this roster um, going into next year, do you look at improving KCP spot, or is it still that small forward spot you look at?
1: Yeah, I think three is a, probably a more pressing need because of shooting. I, I don't think I don't think the roster works if you're building RJ and Dre. If that's your foundation, I think you gotta have three shooters out there with them. Uh, and I really like like Sean. I, I like what Morris has done this season. I've become a fan of him, kind of in the same way as Rashid. You know, kind of a guy who's got a chip on his shoulder, and you don't necessarily fall in love with him until he's one. He's one of your players, and then you start to really understand what he's about. He's a good teammate, plays hard, works hard, that kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, I would say three is probably a slightly pressing, more pressing need. Uh, but to me, um, I, I'm with KCP for another year. I think you roll with him for another year. You give him another summer to work on his shot. You know, a year ago, he was just about a 35% three-point shooter. So hopefully this year's a bit of an anomaly uh, and hopefully he, he is more the 35% three-point shooter than 30% three-point shooter. Uh, because, like I said, if he is, I think he's a, a legit starter without any questions asked. So I roll with him for another year. I, I, this summer I work on, the, I work on uh, building the three, finding some shooting, and then I work on finding some shooting from the bench. I think having a backup point guard who can shoot the three ball a little more capably uh, mitigates some of the other issues. And I think having a backup two or three, or maybe both, Uh, That's deadly from deep, helps a lot as well.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And there was a a Pistons news article today that uh, Detroit Bad Boys had put out talking about Brandon Jennings possibly returning to the Pistons. Ben, I know we just got done talking a bit about Jennings, but uh, is that the type of player you want at the backup point guard spot?
1: I I love Jennings. I was not a fan of him before he came to Detroit. I was not a huge fan initially. Last year he won me over, and I'm going to cheer for him wherever he ends up. Uh, but I don't think he's the solution. I think um, this is Reggie's team. I think we need a different sort of point guard who is um, not someone who's going to be trying to win a starting job. I think we need someone who's content being a backup point guard who will embrace that role and fill that role very well. Uh, so that for that reason, even though I love Brandon, I just don't see him fitting here next year.
2: Yeah, I think uh I think Jennings could work, but I'm I'm actually still a little fuzzy on how much he's back or how much he will be back. He showed some a couple of brilliant flashes but was otherwise sort of underwhelming so far. And uh, maybe he's just not fully recovered yet. Maybe he's just not fully up to speed yet. Needs a good offseason. Needs a good training camp to really, um, you know, kind of reach his potential again. But um, that's that's where I'm skeptical. I think he could blend in and be a good teammate as a backup and accept that role if the team was a winning team and it was clearly defined, a clearly defined role that he accepted. And, con- and the contract also reflected that. Um, but I, I think there are also probably some better fits um, in terms of a, a backup point guard out there by better fits. I mean, people who players who are a little bit more in the mode of being knocked down shooters um, and uh, a little bit more, uh, a better defender as well. We all know we love Brandon, but that's not his forte is being a defender. So it'd be great to have a guy who was a really good defender who could knock down some threes at the point guard spot and just be steady. Um, and I'd like to see, and I think that player should be an older player as well. Should be a veteran, not, not an aging player, but someone in his late twenties, as opposed to early twenties, someone who's got, some
0: more experience and some more maturity. Yes, I, I totally agree. I think that's what we need is a veteran and Ben, we've talked about this before, just the benefit of getting someone with some playoff experience on this roster for next year, uh, that can make the world a difference with a team that's still learning how to win. Um, Sean, did you have anyone in mind with that backup point guard spot with kind of the things you you just mentioned?
2: It's been so long. I don't know, Ben, if you have anybody in mind. It's been so long since I've kind of looked at it. I I have looked at some of those articles that list who's going to be available as free agents or who would fit the mold even in a trade, and I, I can't think of them off the top of my head. Um uh, but if I heard the names, I might be able to <laughs> might be able to give my approval or
0: disapproval. <laughs> thumbs up or thumbs down. Yeah. Maybe yeah. a little closer to the offseason. That that might be something we have to do. Yeah, here.
2: we'll have to look at that. But I did want to say, just to speak to this point real quick about leadership, is like it is extremely unique that this team is not only comprised of five really young guys in the starting lineup, all between the ages of, you know, what, twenty-three and twenty-six, um, but also when you look at their supporting their key bench players. Um, You know, aside from uh, Blake Mamba, you know, who's (laughs) not going to be here after this year and is is really too old to contribute in the way that we need him to. Everybody else is also either young or um, sort of unproven in certain ways. So Baines isn't going to be like the leader, even though he's won a championship. Stanley Johnson is a 19-year-old rookie. You know, Anthony Tolliver is sort of a journeyman. Um, He's a good presence. But they don't really have anyone who's going to be the guy that when they when they drop the ball and play a terrible game, who's going to call people out. They don't have anyone with the credibility, right. the experience, the maturity, combined with still being able to contribute to the team in a, in a valid way. They don't have anybody like that right now, and I think they need to get somebody who brings some of that, even if it's off the bench.
0: Yeah, you're right, and it's I, I think the name that is brought up, often uh, when we talk about this is Paul Pierce with the Wizards, what he was able to give them in the run they made in the playoffs. Uh, once they moved him to the four and we're kind of, you know, stretching the floor a little bit more. I think that's something the Pistons need to look into is a veteran who still has something left, uh, but again, is on the roster uh, as a mentor just as much as he is uh, for the production on the court. Um Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe we missed Karan Butler a little bit. Somebody was joking yeah. about that recently. It's like, you know,
2: I don't know how much he added to the locker room, but I know that he was the only guy who was sort of aging and experienced who was a sort of key member of the rotation for most of the year. You know, you can't get that from Joel Anthony. You can't really get that from Blake. You know, so somebody like that who they respect and who's still capable of chipping in uh, in a significant way is, is probably something that's going to add a lot of value to the team. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I'll
1: I'll chip in three guys that I kind of like as backup point guards. Uh, first guy I actually really don't like at all, but I think he would fit, and that's Dellavedova in Cleveland. I'm not I'm not a big fan of him, but I, I think his game would fit well, and he's been thrown around in the comments of Detroit Bad Boys quite a bit and I have to say he would fit well and I think um Grievous Vasquez and Jared Bayless both in Milwaukee I believe again thinking about a backup role you're talking about a guy who's going to play 14 to 16 minutes a game um either of those guys could potentially work as well so those would be three I'd be looking out for
2: well Della Vadova just I tell you what I mean I hate him because he's on Cleveland But can you imagine? <laughs> that probably biases me a little, yeah. but, yes. But can you, but can you imagine how much Pistons fans would love him? This this oh, scrappy, they would the Pistons fans would love this guy. He instantly be a fan favorite if he were coming off the bench for this team and contributing in a, in a certain in a, in a good way. And so, what is he shooting from three? He's shooting forty one percent from three this year. You know, he's playing. What is he playing? How many minutes? 22, twenty three minutes a game. That's kind of a, an ideal contributor. And he plays like he plays scrappy and he plays hard and. I mean I I'd, I'd be okay
0: with that. Yeah, I agree. I can see fans of the Palace getting excited about Della Vidova coming off the bench the same way they used to for Corliss Williamson. They you know these these tough scrappy guys and both are good shooters. I think they're good good defenders. Della Vidova, I think Ben you're right is a perfect fit, but maybe um you know I I'm just biased against, you know, his time in Cleveland. Uh he's someone I've just rooted against pretty hard the last few seasons. Uh,
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs) But, yeah, definitely a a good player and a great fit. Jared Bayless is someone that I think is interesting. His shooting has been fantastic in Milwaukee this year, and that's been a team that's really been struggling. Spacing's been an issue. Uh, He's been working off the ball quite a bit because of, you know, the issues with Carter Williams, and they've tried to get another shooter on the floor. So Bayless is someone that I think you could buy low and might be a nice fit here. Uh, And, again, veteran guy might be a really nice piece on the bench.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, his shooting's kind of been up and down throughout his career, which is the case for a lot of three point shooters in the NBA. You know, so he's been sort of all over the map. It's hard to know if this this year is the anomaly or not. But True. a lot of times three point shooting is a skill that takes years and years to develop and, and maybe it's for real. So I'd be eyeballing him pretty closely as well.
2: You know, I, I think that uh, – I think everyone should just uh, – if I were to give a little um, – my thoughts on what's going on this season, I mean, look, we all had our expectations before the season about this team winning, what, 42, 43 I, – I think I might have said 46 games in my last article or something. We all had those expectations, and they're kind of coming up in there, but just remember what the expectations were from everyone outside of DBB. I mean, it was really difficult to find anyone who thought this team would even break 500 or get near it. And they were more often predicted to be um, a 32-35 win team gone out of the barrel. Um, and so I think a moment of appreciation for the fact that not only have they exceeded other people's expectations, but that they have also built a stronger team during this season by adding Harris and in finding guys like Morris, who clearly is a solid contributor of the scrap heap, I think there's just, you know, it's it's easy to look at some of the really the turrets that this team puts up and get really angry. <laughs> but there's just so much more to be enthusiastic about with this team moving forward. So I would just say let's just enjoy the hell out of these last um, eight games and, and have a lot of fun with it. And I think that next year is going to bring even better things. I agree. Yeah, much, much more good basketball to come.
0: It's been an exciting season. And you're right, there was not a publication, there was no website uh, that covers basketball that had us, I think, any better than 11th in the East. I know that was ESPN's prediction. So it is great to see what we've done this season. And you're right, the expectations in the DBB community were one thing, uh, and the rest of the basketball community definitely did not expect the Pistons to be in this spot, uh, at least in year two under SVG. So, that's that is a big plus it's great that we are at this place uh, maybe a little ahead of schedule for where uh, what everybody else's expectations were awesome Ben you have uh, anything you want to say before we leave
1: uh, Sean I really appreciated having you on man I think you had a really valuable perspective I always enjoy reading what you have to uh, to write on the blog but it's a uh, totally different talking with you and I appreciate that and uh, I hope the community gets a lot out of it, too. I know I certainly did. So so thanks for coming on and joining us. I really appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate that, guys. Anytime you want to have me, I'll be happy to step
0: in. Absolutely. I will definitely have you on again, uh, hopefully during the playoffs. You know, if we can get you on during the uh, the playoffs, that would be uh, it'd be great. Yeah, I appreciate. Well, I'm gonna
2: it. To, I'm going to have to do it from overseas because I made the mistake of booking my trip to France for the first round of the playoffs. Oh, <laughs> I, all right. I can't believe it! I, I make this trip to France once every few years, and we booked it to visit these friends we have out there, and we're leaving on the 16th, and we're coming back on the 30th. So, pretty much the entire first round, I'm going to be <laughs> in France, yep. trying to struggling to watch these games on my iPad somehow over Wi-Fi, and you know, I, I don't know how. I don't know if it's going to work or how it's going to work at 2 in the morning, but I'm going to try.
0: <laughs> those exact two weeks of the first round is exactly <laughs>
2: what you're missing. I, I looked at that and I had one of those Darth Vader moments. No! I couldn't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, shout
1: out to our friends in Spain, though. The names are escaping me at the moment, but we've got a handful of folks who are regulars on the, uh, the blog from Spain, so maybe we'll have to
2: keep an eye out and have
1: them hook you up with I've some got to uh, figure out how to can- the it.
2: Yeah, I got to figure out how to get the games. Like, I don't know how, where I can. Find, I'm a League Pass subscriber, but that's gone once the playoffs come. And Europe's a whole new ballgame. So, <laughs> anyone can right. give me about how I can watch these games in France at two in
0: the morning. Yeah. Please bring it on. Yeah, anyone who uh, who's any knowledge of European piracy of NBA games that would be very helpful for Sean uh, over <laughs> the next few weeks.
2: <laughs> you heard <it> first here.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, guys. I'll be talking to both of you soon.